Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to episode 85 of the Brighton Rock podcast. This one is the second of our non-league specials, where we're going to focus on what's been going on at Southwick FC. Uh, to join us to do that, I am welcoming back Andy Bravery, who was on our last pod, lament, uh, talking about his time as an FA Cups goalscorer for Ringmer, no less. Uh, all the glamour. Um, welcome back to the show, Andy. How are you? I'm all right, Frank. Thanks for inviting me on the game, Ross. Excellent. And to join us for this special, we have with us Henry Tomlinson, who's a sports journalist, making his debut on the show. Hello, Henry, and a warm welcome to you. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's always a, uh, it's always nice to be invited on stuff, especially the Brighton Rock podcast. Ah, our pleasure. Excellent. Um, well, we'll start off and we'll come on to a few bits of football news later on in the pod. Uh, the main bulk of what we're going to talk about will be related to Southwick, though. Um, before we get into that in full, though, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself, Henry, uh, your backgrounds, your affiliations, and how you've got a connection of sorts with Southwick as well? Um, well, I'm sort of relatively new to the journalist game. I graduated from my master's last year, and since I've been like writing to a bunch, writing for a bunch of sort of different websites like uh, Babel, just about general football news, Green Street Hammers about a lot of West Ham news. Rich, for my sins, I am a West Ham fan. Um, but I've also done some stuff with the local media things in Brighton, such as latest TV, uh, going on their sports talk, even had a sports chat show for a very, very, very brief uh, week. <laughs> um, and I've done a few stories about uh, late uh, about Southwick and I've also started running a Brighton-y sort of sports website called Brighton Squawk, where we're focused on Brighton, Hove, Albion and Southwick. Always looking to expand to other teams, but need to sort of educate ourselves on those other teams before we start contributing about them before people catch on that we don't really know what we're talking about just at the at that time <laughs> yeah excellent that's good well that, that all sounds fine apart from the bit about west ham oh dear <laughs> we'll forgive you though on this occasion um quite a good record against west ham recently so we yeah actually we do quite like west ham don't we andy <laughs> we do yeah it's always helpful when we need a couple of wins <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, and we haven't played yet this season, so we'll see how that pans out. Um, so, 
you so you've been a West Ham fan. Are you from the from that local area originally? Um, so I'm from Burgess Hill, just up the road from Brighton. Uh, ah, right. I grew up, but my dad was a West Ham fan. Uh, growing up, I, he told me the story about how everyone at his school was a Chelsea or Manchester United fan, and he sort of took a news newspaper home one day and spun his finger around on it plopped it down on a team and it just happened to be West Ham with, Bob, with a Bobby Moore and a Jeff Hurston and Martin Peters coming through the ranks. So he was quite happy with his choice at the time. Um, and I've sort of inherited that from him, um, even though he remembers most of the time with Bobby Moore and Jeff Hurst battling relegation or being relegated with the World Cup winners. And I've sort of suffered quite similar with the occasional season of joy. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. You've had a playoff win or two and things like that, haven't you, uh, through the years? Um, yeah, I mean, it's bizarre, isn't it, to think you're a fan based on the particular points that somebody points a pen or whatever it was down on a page uh, many years back beforehand. So bizarre, isn't it, really, to think of, but fair yeah. play. And um, He uh, put emotion. You wouldn't have thought of that, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're, we're, we're all in the, uh, in, we're in the same division at the moment, and hopefully that will continue to be the case. We haven't played you yet this year, but uh, we'll see how those games pan out in due course. Um, as far as it goes with Southwick, then, we've, we've done one of these already on, um, on Worthing, where we spoke to the guys doing the podcast there, um, and that was quite interesting to hear some background information on that. You're coming at it from a bit of a different angle, because you not a Southwick fan, but you, you did a, um, an article, I think, didn't you, on them? And that's how you got to hear about what's been going on. Is that right? Um, yeah, so briefly with my time with Latest TV, I did a story on them, like full sort of TV package, um, sort of telling a story about how they were forced to leave their sort of spiritual home of Old Barnway uh, due to the ground sort of falling into a bit of disrepair. I think it needed about half a million pounds of work being put onto it to make it sort of usable again and when we went down the ground was just in tatters really like overgrown hedges concrete everywhere it just wasn't safe for a football crowd mm. to even be there and since then they've been playing on uh, Southwick Recreation Park and have reformed to Southwick 1882 uh, to sort of distance themselves from maybe the previous management of the club in which it sort of fell into such a bad state underneath um, but since then, they're sort of looking up. They've got plans to move back into Old Barn Way, which I think they just need sort of approval from the council once the Worthing and Adur council, that is, um, that the ground is like okay for them to move back into. But I know they've got a few people competing for the lease of the ground. And sort of under like, a bit confusingly, their response was, a football team will move back into Old Barn Way when it is ready. But they didn't guarantee that it would be Southwick, <laughs> which for the, the people running Southwick and the people associated with it, such as, um, I think it's John Bain, uh, Attila, and yeah. the manager, uh, assistant manager, Tony Gratwick, who are a bit sort of confused about because they don't really know what other affiliated football club would want to move into Old Barn Way that isn't Southwick because it's such a, heart of the community in Southwick. It's right in the housing area and it means so much to the local, local residents that it would be sort of confusing as to why another club would want to do it. I think in one of their messages they posted, they said, um, unless uh, 
Portslade Pixies want to move in or Crystal Palace under 16s. There's not really <laughs> another club that should be in it, let alone not being Southwick. So hopefully the Wickers can return to it as soon as possible because a club of their history in the local area shouldn't be playing on the recreation park and they should yeah. be back in their ground at Old Barn Way. And they've, I mean, as you said, it's it's such a, a unique scenario that it's it's um, a, effectively quite a small area. It's about halfway between Worthing and Brighton for anyone that doesn't know. Um, it's their traditional home, isn't it, as well? Um, going back a long way in time. And as you said, it's not a, a size of area where you could have any club of any particular note or distinction would come in other than a replacement or another version of the same club. So it seems bizarre. Um, and um, as I understand it, but as you said, it fell into some kind of disrepair. There were, I think it, there was a report in the Argus saying that some fire checks and um, general maintenance to walls and roofing and various other things hadn't been kept up to date to the safety levels that would have been required. Um, something along those lines, I think the report said. Um, and they were saying that essentially Ada District Council um, terminated the lease, I think. Is that, is that as you, the way you understand it? Um, as how I understand it, it's that's roughly about right. I think without getting into too much trouble, like basically under the previous ownership, the one part that was looked after was the clubhouse. And that's sort of all you need to sort of know about what the previous owner might have been like um, in terms of where the priorities were. I'm not saying that's true or not. That's just sort of my interpretation of hmm. what I've been told. Um, but now hopefully they've sort of, as I've said, like they've reformed as 1882. They don't have the previous uh, sort of financial peril that the Southwick FC were in. Um, so yeah. I know obviously they've been dropped two divisions, which is a massive shame for Southwick, but hopefully they can sort of just rebuild, get back into the ground as soon as possible. I think they're hopeful a decision will be made in January. Uh, by the council and hopefully that's positive because Southwick have all these amazing plans for once they get back in to build not just a football club but like a sports centre where they can start coaching local kids football and have they've already got people signed up for it and already doing like coaching courses but they plan to grow it more and more and it just become a real hub for the local area and I just think it would be such a shame if it's not allowed to even be given a go. By the council, especially as the, like the ground is just sitting there empty. Yeah. I think, other than the uh, on the back of it, there's a like bike teaching training center um, yeah. for like mopeds and stuff. Like that's the only usage the ground is having at the moment, rather than for football, which it should be. I mean, the club has existed since 1882 in the area. They should be like a pride of the area. So it's just a shame that they're not being treated with the respect that I believe they should be. Yeah. We'll go to Andy in just a second, but just to clarify. So it used to be Southwick FC. It's now Southwick 1882 FC, isn't it? I think is the change of name. So it's a new owner ownership. It is effectively a different club yeah, taking the place of the old one. It's yeah. like fan owned now. So yeah. it's, uh, I think the way they describe it is that it's a full like democratic ownership of the club rather than one person mm. at the top. Um, so, so to hopefully avoid something like this ever happening again, basically. So there's always yeah. people there helping at the club rather than one person deciding what might be best or worst for the club. Sure. 
Okay, over to you, Andy. Yeah. But Henry, well, I just wanted to see if you if you had the answer to the you were talking about the the state of the of the ground. Um, is that going to take a long time to um, reconcile and um, get it up to a decent standard? And would you think they've got the finances for that? Um, I think now they're not the tenants. It's more on the responsibility of the council to repair it, really, because now it's Southwick 1882 FC. It's not Southwick FC. They're not even a tenant of the ground. Um, it's not really their responsibility to repair it. I think they've offered as much help as they can. Um, I know they've got a crowdfunder going, which um, a lot of people have donated to, uh, especially one person, which I don't think Russell wants to mention. Um, but like that, like there's a lot of work going towards it. From what I saw, it's a lot of sort of just debris needs to be, and just a lot of clear and manpower just put into it just to clear it, trim back what needs to be trimmed, remove rubble that needs to be removed and just like strengthening back to the stands and to the clubhouse that's sort of fallen away now that there's been no club there. So I think when I was looking at, I think the half a million pounds sounded high in my head from what I saw, but I'm not a, I'm not a, a builder or that mm. way sort of in, inclined. So in, in terms of the amount, like it could, it could cost that much to do. But hopefully it doesn't. I think in terms of the area, there's enough people to be like willing to help just to help the club um, as it is. So hopefully it's not as much as it is being talked about, but I'm sure there'll be sort of an arrangement come to it in order to fix it. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, you never know. These things do add up, don't they? It's quite often more than you think it's going to be. But uh, just going back on one other thing as well. So I, as I understand it from the article I read in the Argus um, at the time, they've, um, as I understand, um, they haven't taken on the debts of the previous club because it was a different a different entity, which is quite right, really. They shouldn't need to do that necessarily, um, seeing as the ground had already gone, I think, by that point um, from, their, from the, the previous tenants. Um, so I think it was on that basis that the FA dropped them down the two divisions, wasn't it, I think, or, or part, part of the reason. Is that right? Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure if the drop sort of happened maybe like as they were reforming and it was dropped as Southwick FC and then they reformed in the league. But I believe it was sort of they were dropped because they had sort of maybe a financial advantage on the teams they're playing against now because they've got some players that were paid and... In terms of like just from like the previous club that has now been reformed, like just some of the ongoing expenses of the that club kind of thing, if that makes sense. Like as the new thing, some costs have sort of carried on in terms of like keeping a couple of players here or there. But as far like so that's why they've been dropped really, is just to make sure there was no sort of hmm. financial gain on that league. Uh, that they I'm were sure. oh no, that that's what it is. Because of the league they were in basically reforming and not having the debt they had gained a financial advantage for not having that debt basically and hmm. removing it entirely from their club I, mean, I believe that's why they were dropped a couple of divisions so they sort of otherwise every every club would reform every year be like, well we don't have the debt but we're still in the premier league and we're still arsenal <laughs> or yeah <something. laughs> yeah that's understandable and they're playing at the recreation ground, which is literally just opposite, isn't it? I'm not too familiar with the area in full detail, but I think it's just opposite where the old ground is. Is that right? 
yeah it's not it's not too far away at all mm. it's a really yeah. stone's throw from the ground so it's almost more frustrating that they're that close to Old Barn Way but aren't allowed to play on Old Barn Way really yeah yeah um I know um that there's some, been some illustrious former players at um, Southwick. One of them is sitting with us, Mr. Bravery. Um, you once played for them, didn't you, as well? well uh, I mean, tell us yeah. about that. It's true. I did, I did play for them. I never lied about that. Yeah, but I was, um, and as I said, it was only, I was in the under-16 team. Um, guy called um, Gary Brown formed us from um, two or three other teams and a few of extra players like myself to um, challenge the team at the time. It was Coombe, Coombe Rovers, who were like, you know, they used to win everything. And um, Gary... Gary Brown, so he basically, um, as I said, his son, um, Steve Brown, uh, was a Brighton lad who um, played um, a few hundred games for Charlton Athletic around the same time as Gary Nelson. I went to, uh, to school with his older brother, Kevin, who also played quite well, uh, quite, used to play for White Hawk, um, but um, he got a, a, quite a bad injury and I think his career ended quite young, really, relatively young anyway. At the time I was there, that the, the um, Ray McCarthy was the first team manager, and um, Gary Alfick, who's um, Gary Alfick, who's um, uh, the father of Tommy and Gary Alfick um, of this uh, parish. Um, he he was club captain. Now he'd um, he nearly made it as a professional up at uh, Stoke, and he got a bad injury. But he played quite top level um, local football. I mean, it was always seen as one of the the top in those days, back in the early 80s, one of the top county league teams. And I enjoyed my time with them and playing at um, Old Barn Way. I mean, I played, uh, we got to play on there quite a few times, even as an under-16 team. They had some very good local footballers. So I was really, um, obviously being out of Brighton, you, you don't always hear these stories, but I was really quite saddened to, to see that they were not playing there. And I think the wreck is virtually next door. It's just like you could almost kick a ball out of the ground into the wreck. So there must be even worse playing in the wreck, looking at it to say, we could be playing there and there's no football going on. So, you know, so I hope that they do resolve it. They do get back there because, um, you know, those clubs are really the hub of the community, really. Yeah. And it is they, ridiculous. They seem to get things. decent crowds. I mean, for the standard they're playing at, you see the pictures um, on Twitter. And they seem to get quite decent crowds at the moment there. So if they could get that that out, if they get that many people in there and get the bar open and that they, they should do, you know, post COVID obviously they should do quite well. Yeah, they've seen a good sort of increase of people uh, start going, especially like because people couldn't go to Brighton or Whitehawk because of the stadium like bands and football. Being at the rec almost saw an increase of fans um, compared to at Old Barn Way because they didn't have to worry about being responsible because they're just on the rec, like they're in public property, so. The fact that hmm. couldn't say no, you can't come because we're just on the recreation ground. We saw an increase of fans go to their games, so it's been really good seeing. Hopefully, once they do get back to Old Barn Way, those people stay loyal. I'm hoping to go down uh, to watch them in the, the next few weeks. I think their uh, their next game is on the fifth uh, this Saturday, so hopefully, yeah. to try to get down to it. To yeah, I mean, I've. I have to confess, I've never actually been to Southwick's ground. I've been past it a number of times on the train. You can see it from the uh, from the railway, can't you? Um, uh, but I would be keen to have a nose down myself once things are, are back um, in action. Um, it's such a shame. And as you said, that they're at the heart of the community and there's so many good initiatives by the sounds of it. 
really do hope they manage to get things sorted. Um, Henry, you forwarded on to me, didn't you? There was an article, um, and this relates to the other illustrious player that's played for Southwick. He did play for the seniors. Um, it's a guy who some people may already know, a distinguished and renowned German coach by the name of Ralph Ranick, who played for Southwick, according to the message apparently sent in support of the club um, in 1980, I think. Um, he's a, a very well-known, um, quite sort of groundbreaking and slightly maverick coach, I think, is the general perception I've got of him in his, uh, in his managerial days now. Um, I've seen him actually interviewed quite recently on Sky Sports News, so he's round and about a fair bit. But he, he played for Wickers during the time he was at uni at, I think it was the University of Sussex. I'm trying to find the bit of information now. But, um, yeah, University of Sussex and Brighton. So, interesting. <laughs> did you know that before you um, did the article? Um, I didn't know about it until I was sort of writing the article and I saw... Um doing some research, going onto the Southwick sort of fundraiser page that seeing like the people who donated just to sort of get like an idea of how much they'd sort of risen. And then I just saw like an amount of like a thousand pounds, like sort of just stuck out a bit more. And I looked in there, I was like, Ralph Ragnarok. And I was like, I know that name. Why do I know that name? Not really <laughs> like expecting to see a German manager um, from yeah. RB uh, Schalke, like he managed, and like, and Leipzig, I think might be one of the other ones. Yeah. So I right. like, oh my god! Like that's that Ralph Ragnick. Why? <laughs> why is he donated to the Southwick cause? And then before I knew it, like Southwick had tweeted from their account saying that, oh, thank to our previous player Ralph Ragnick. So like, nice to know that we're still like in his thoughts and everything. And I just couldn't believe like of like, all the people that could have been is someone actually like who's really been to the top of the game in terms of yeah. football. And in my head, I started just thinking that, oh, just imagine if you just came back just to like coach. <laughs> At South yeah. like, if you're cop form seconds turning up and Ralph Ragnarok's on the sidelines with the yeah. manager, just being like, yeah, we need to move them around this and we need to start playing like all these different <laughs> styles of football that you just wouldn't expect in the Mid-Sussex Championship. Yeah, possession football, Geigen pressing, all that sort of yeah. thing, whatever, yeah. <laughs> he, I mean, there was a rumour, I think, I don't know if Andy, if you remember this, I think he was linked with the Albion at one point as a possible um, outsider bet for a job. I can't remember when. It was probably a few managers' uh, vacancies back in time. Um, but I do remember him being linked somewhere on, probably on Northstand Chat or something. No doubt people putting two and two together from his time in Brighton, but... Uh, yeah, that's bizarre. I mean, speaking of Brighton footballer connections, um, Russell Martin, who of course played for Norwich and went on and what does now manage um, MK Dons, um, he formed a foundation a few years ago. And according to your article you've sent, um, he and the Footballers Football Supporters Association have um, given their support as well. Um, and then obviously it mentions Ralph Raniak. Raniak's message apparently to... Wickers fan said, Dear Wickers supporters, having played for the Wickers in 1980 was a great experience for me as a young student and player. This is why I would love to support your campaign and very much hope the club can return to Old Barn Way ground in due course. Up the Wickers. <laughs> it is so surreal, isn't it? As you said, a renowned German coach going up the Wickers. Who would have known? <laughs> um, furthermore, as you said about the Russell Martin group, um, since I wrote that article, I've done hmm. a couple others and like as they put their plans forward to the council, if they were to be awards it, Russell Martin, I think, are another group that are interested in Old Barn Way and sort of becoming the tenants of it. 
but hmm. a guarantee to Southwick that if they were awarded it, they would allow Southwick into the ground. So which uh, right, right. really great to hear that sort of helping Southwick's chances really. So yeah. form like a good bond uh, between the group, the foundation and the club. Oh, excellent. That's good to hear as well, isn't it? Yeah, fantastic. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see how it pans out. It's going to be one of those things, a matter of wait and see, isn't it, at the moment? But it does sound like there's a good idea of a good scheme in place, should they get it. Um, it does sound like the sport's there. I think when you get these either Phoenix groups or um, or just any kind of resurgence for, for an older club, um, I think renewed interest actually is is greater than what was there before so hopefully there can be some kind of momentum as well fan supporter numbers and enthusiasm wise uh, going forward which should be good to see um obviously yeah let us know if any if you hear any more as well on that matter um andy i don't know if you had any more to say on the southwick issue but um if you haven't we'll move on to a couple of other things that have uh, been going on in the news um since we had a, a podcast literally just two days ago um there's been one bit of major news, hasn't there, actually, guys? Um, the Premier League and EFL have agreed their rescue package, finally, um, which I think Julian Knight, who's in the, the DCMS pod, has been staunchly critical of the football authorities for not getting something sorted sooner. Too much prevarication, etc., was his, his uh, thoughts on the matter. Well, it has finally been agreed. It's a £250 million package. As I understand it, 50 million is going uh, to be appointed for League One and Two of the EFL, um, split between a guaranteed amount straight away, minimum of 250,000 for League Two clubs, minimum of 375,000 for League One clubs. Um, some of the 50 mil can be will, will be given straight away. Some of it is is available subject to um, suitable application, shall we say? I think is, is probably the wording for it. Um, the other 200 million takes the form of interest-free loans um, over a period of up to four years. Again, conditional on uh, on suitability and 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 genuine need. I think is is the overall sentiment with it. Um, that's my understanding of it. I mean, what, what Henry? First of all, what, what's your take on that from your sports journalistic point of view? Um, good news in general. For, I mean, we needed something, didn't we? Yeah, I think it's good news in general, of course, because the clubs wouldn't. Have- won't survive forever in the current climate really obviously with the current rules of maybe like 2,000 or 4,000 fans depending what tier you're in maybe that does cover a lot of the clubs in those levels Um, but in terms of what they need to really survive was that bared out so it's good that it's happened but depending how long everything goes on for it will just be a drop in the ocean and there will need further bailout if we are to continue with the current league system as it is but I'm great I'm I'm very happy it's happened because rather than uh, project big picture happening and basically the bailout being a bribe to do what they wanted with the Premier League and everything so I'm glad the bailouts happened without having to give into project big picture Um, but hopefully it's enough to keep the clubs going until things return to the the normal of old and they can sustain themselves and then sort of go back to if the club does fall out of into administration and stuff, it's due to poor ownership or traditional problems of a football club rather than the simplicity yeah. of we can't get fans in and we can't sell our tickets and we can't make merchandise tickets and stuff like that. Like, yeah. like 
that that's already it's just like as long as we can return the clubs can sustain themselves through this period until they can start standing on their own feet again then they will need the support and I'm just happy that it's starting to happen really yeah and I think the perception I've got of it is that uh, the championship won't get a big slice of the pie per se but they can apply in certain circumstances for the interest-free loan I think that's where they come into the equation isn't it in terms of where genuine needs must, then they can get the money. And, and I think this is good because that prevents, hopefully prevents the scenario where cash-rich clubs, either through just owner benefactors, such as uh, Derby, Stoke, Bournemouth, they've, got, they've all got wealthy owners, some others besides, I'm sure as well, Sheffield Wednesday, I think too. Those clubs um, won't be able to just get money just because it's part of a general ticket. Um, they would have to have circumstances prevailing accordingly but um yeah abby what, what's your take yeah i mean i i you know I, the sense you got was that i think i think there was a feeling that they wanted to do something for the um uh, leagues one and two but i think that the um i think that the the points that they were stalling on were well firstly i think a number of the premiership clubs thought they were being you know it was a stitch up to start with although it did at least bring them to the table to discuss it and I think you're right in the terms of the championship. I think Paul Barber told us previously that, you know, there are owners there that are probably wealthier than some of the owners in the premiership. And there was no, there was, there didn't seem to be any appetite for subsidising them at the current time. I mean, I think also it, it does also show that really, you know, I mean, the championship financially is just a basket case, really. It, you know, it, it survives on mainly on owners who subsidise their, their clubs for anything between ten and twenty-five million a year. Um, I don't know how long that can go on, even even post-COVID. But I think um, for the lower leagues, really, the only thing that's going to fully rescue them and maintain the pyramid is is when we can get the crowds back on whether they can survive that long. And then I think we're right. It's like what Henry says. Then you're down to, you know, the kind of the berries of this this world. Um, which are probably still going to occur, but you know the, there is arguments to say that's as much about individuals as it is about the state of football finance. Yeah. Speaking of Barry, apparently they've um, Steve Dale. Um, sorry for swearing on on air, guys. Uh, <laughs> Steve Dale has apparently put Barry FC into administration now, which is interesting. The CVA failed because uh, basically they didn't fulfil any of the objectives. Um, and now it's, it's gone into administration. He's an expert in these matters. Who knows what he's up to there? It's, it's just dragging things out while the Phoenix Club tries to develop, isn't it? It's that crazy stuff. But in general, yeah, uh, I think it's going to at least assist for now. And hopefully in the long term, it'll allow clubs at least not to fail for reasons beyond their control. Um, if they're going to fail, it should only be for reasons of mismanagement. And then hopefully that doesn't happen either. Andy, I mean, back it does, to you, yeah. yeah, well, I mean, it does also show like the the uniqueness, doesn't it, of football? That you know, the government has no expectation of Mike Ashley actually sort of subsidising and bailing out the um, the retail industry mm. trade, but yet football is supposed to actually you know bail out its own when actually it is it, you know they are competing businesses, albeit at mm. different levels. It's quite interesting that kind of mindset, but I'm just pleased that they managed to come up with some deal that. You know those those clubs in League One and Two will be able to survive for now. Yeah, it's interesting. Always interesting, isn't it? Because they are businesses, but they are key features of a community as well. So it's it's that weird 
correlation yeah. that's always got to be matched. Yeah. Well, I mean, a barber kind of, you know, he kind of put it in perspective when he, he talked about Brighton and when they were talking about the stitch up, you know, and that, um, you know, Bloom's invested 250, 300 million pounds. You don't just put that money into a club and then just go, oh, well, okay, never mind. We'll go down the league then just so you boys can have a bit more money. Thanks very much. It doesn't quite work like that, does it? I mean, most of them are hard-nosed businessmen. And we know that football sometimes, they kind of, you know, when they get involved in football, they can kind of lose that. But you um, hmm. you don't get the sense that Bloom's one of those. Yeah, yeah. A um, couple of other bits of news, just move, moving things on from one, one extreme to the other. The Champions League, very quickly on that, a few bits happened. First of all, Olivier, Olivier Giroud scored all four goals for Chelsea. And he's probably not going to start the next game, is he? I mean, that that really is what you would call a managerial headache, because <laughs> he he is effectively their backup guy, and he's he's going to be gutted if he's not started the next match, isn't he? After that, I think it was a four 0 win, wasn't it, in Sevilla? Um, I thought that was quite amusing. Um, Ronaldo got his seven hundred fiftieth professional senior goal um, in midweek, which is quite incredible. Uh, for what it's worth, that's thirty eight ahead of Messi at the moment. In a game that was refereed um, by a woman, a French woman. Yeah. Um, first time that's happened at that level of football. And apparently, I didn't see the game, but apparently did a good job. So that was a, a real landmark. Um, any thoughts on that, guys? I think it's great that a uh, woman was refereeing in the Champions League. I don't know why it hasn't happened sooner. I think we yeah. can take note of it because I don't... I'm not a big fan of our referees as they are in the Premier League. I think the general standard we have is very poor compared to the rest of Europe or you see at the World Cup and you see people punished for stuff that you know they get away with um, in the Premier League. You can think of maybe a couple of players in particular right now who are seen as the nation's sweetheart or the players of the moment that perhaps play for Aston Villa and wouldn't get away with what they get away with in other leagues. Or you just know at a World Cup, a player like Jack Grealish will not be able to trick a referee with the way he plays. Um, Obviously, it's the dark arts of football and he's doing very well at it, whether you agree with it or not. If you're a Villa fan, you'll love it and you think it's brilliant. If you're the opposition fans, I mean, I know Brighton played Villa quite recently. I'm sure you guys probably got quite frustrated with it, as I did as well. So I'm all for sort of reform of the British referees in whatever way is possible by bringing in blood, like whether it's men or women, like whoever it is, as long as they're qualified, then there's no reason why they shouldn't be given a go. Like we had, um, I can never remember her name, but the linesman who's done a a fantastic job. uh, Yeah. Shane Massey, is it? I think. I mean, yeah. yeah. Mm. Like, she's done a fantastic job. I've been to a few games where she's been the linesman. And I've never worked mm. out like she's got something wrong before VAR compared to a lot of linesmen. Mm. Being, oh, that was never offside kind of thing, even in like a heat of a moment. I've never seen her make a mistake. Um, so there's no reason why it can't be a woman or a man. Like, as long as they're yeah. good enough, then give them the job. Yeah, I mean, in, in terms of playing, obviously they are two very different, albeit the same sports, aren't they? The men's game and the women's game, and that's fine. But in terms of officiating, as you said, there's no particular reason why somebody who isn't a man can not officiate the game. It seems perfectly fine. All they've got to be able to do is see 
and apply rules to what they're seeing and um, and, and have a, a general level of fitness, which she obviously has. What, what more is there to it, really? It's great. I think it's good to see. Um, um, more, more for it, really. Um, I, I agree with you, what you said about Grealish. I was going to come onto that subject. <laughs> and the fact you've volunteered it yourself tells me all I need to know about what I was going to ask you. He's very irritating, isn't he? Albeit a very good player. Um, I, I, to be honest, I have no issues with the issues that your um, coaching staff raised on the sidelines, from what I've heard at the weekend. Um, yeah. I, I just found it amusing that they took exception to it. <laughs> Kevin Nolan was very heated on the sideline, as well as one of our other uh, backroom staff members, and Dean Smith was not happy about it um, in his post-match press conference. But as, 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 as annoying as I find Grealish in terms of his playing style, it's not his fault. It's the officiating's fault. If the officiating punished it, he wouldn't do it. Like that—that's the issue. He can—he does it because he gets away with it, and he gets rewards for it. Hmm. There's one moment in the game where he falls to the ground after a tussle with Pablo Fornals. There's an initial sort of shove, and. Four hours are sort of falling and his leg sort of swings around and it maybe clips his left thigh. And then he stands, Jack Grealish, for a second or two. And then his legs jump up underneath him and he falls to the ground. And then he grabs his other leg. Um, yeah. It's literally like a vertical drop, isn't it? Every time he just goes directly down. Yeah. So it's tough. And then obviously he's trying to get Pablo Four hours a second yellow card is what he's trying to do because they were losing the game at the time. And I completely understand why he's doing it because he wants to win the game for Aston Villa. The issue is, is the officiating with it, especially when I think it's about 10 minutes after that, there's an incident between him and side Ben Rama, um, our new signing who's had a few sort of bench appearances and Grealish runs into him and Ben Rama's very like slight character and he almost puts his arm out and clotheslines him as he falls to the ground. So Ben Rama has a right, like, thump to the ground because he's basically just been rugby tackled for not even being on the ball, really. Mm. And, like, not, like, it doesn't get talked about because that would be talking against the English sweetheart. But, again, it's, it's got to be with the officiating. If the officiating came down on it as what it is in terms of going down lightly or diving, if there isn't contact, like... I think there, there was a rule they brought in about um, post-match punishment for diving. And two players got punished with it when they first brought it in. One of them was Manuel Lanzini uh, for a penalty one against Stoke where he ran 70 yards with the ball and then was slightly shoved, which after if I've run 70 yards with a ball, it won't take a lot to push me over. <laughs> and I will fall to the ground. So, and I, can't, I think the other player might have been an Everton player. But since then, never happened again. And hmm. they bring in rules and they just don't get enforced. And it's incredibly like, infuriating because it's just, you can never question the FA. Like the referees never have to answer for their actions on a pitch or decisions they make. And you got to think like, why? When you think how rugby is, how cricket is in terms of the reviews and people are sort of made to, you can hear the referee sinking. It is very sort of irritating that the referees in England have such a shield in front of them from any sort of criticism. I mean, where 
players and managers are fined tens of thousands of pounds for saying I yeah. did, did a good job. And they're, they're under pressure and it's the heat at the moment just after the game, but they are forced to do those pressers, aren't they? And ultimately the refs aren't. So it's, it is an unfair playing ground. Um, Andy, yeah. What, well, I'll just, I mean, I'll, I'll just sort of wanted to go back a little bit to, to um, the manager, Dean Spiff. I mean, I, I, I don't think Grealish does that without his blessing. So he basically wants him to try and get fouls around the box because he might get people sent off, but he might also get goals. And so really, to some extent, Grealish only stops doing that for Villa if the manager tells him to cut it out and the manager won't do that. Mm-hmm. So I get I get what we're saying about the refs. Although, you know, we in, in this country, well, I think football generally is based on the, the sense of, it. you know, it's basically um, that cheating's allowed and it's the referee's, it's up to the, it's the referee's responsibility to, to point it out and to stop it. And it's always been like that. It probably always will be. But I think where Grealish is concerned, I mean, I saw that, that you know, that one. He looked like he'd been shot. He, he often does. Sometimes he gets caught. But um, I, I, I just, I've just come to the um, conclusion that their manager they, tells him to do it. Otherwise, he would have stopped him by now. You know, and until he tells yeah. him to stop doing it, Grealish is going to carry on. Either that or basically... Referees are going to have to go up to him before the game and just say, "I'm not going to give you anything because I, I yeah. can't, I can't actually believe that you're, um, you're not cheating." And it's you're a well be right. Yeah. He's such a talented player, and what he and what he brings, in my opinion, as an English player, something that you know virtually no one can do is the way that he can pick the ball up and run past three or four players, taking them on. You know, we have hardly got anyone like that. In fact. We, uh, there was a bit of a conversation a while ago against some coaches around the last England player that really did that. And, and you're going back to people like Paul Gascoigne, really, hmm. you know, that could actually pick the ball up, take it a pick, run at people, go past three or four people, you know, and, and, and force them to make challenges. We don't tend to develop players. Like we've, we've done a lot around developing first touch, but we still really go more about passing the ball around rather than actually yeah. dribbling with it. And he really is kind of a free free spirit almost in a way, isn't he? He's quite elegant. He's quite a maverick. You know, the whole thing about yeah. the socks seem to be rolled down. Whenever he cuts inside and has a shot, he always it always seems to be very well calculated and it's never far away if it doesn't go in, is it? it no. So his, his percentages in general yeah. as a, as a Funny enough, player always really good. To, I tend to prefer him when he's, in, he's got his England top on rather than his Villa top. Yeah, he, funnily enough. Yeah. He is the kind of player that that England doesn't really have that could actually, you know, those really tight games, hmm. you could unlock it a little bit, you know, and, and get you a result. Whereas in the past, maybe it would have gone to penalties and we would have got knocked out. Yeah. You know. But um, that's enough about talking about Clarence and Blue that isn't yeah. uh, Henry related. Uh, <laughs> um, but yes, we, we did find him annoyed when we played him recently, as you probably gathered. Um, he got one of our players booked, uh, which led to a suspension and general shenanigans, really. Um I don't know if you caught our game of the weekend, Henry, but uh, it was billed, and this is what annoys me with the media, it was billed as controversial. Um, the only reason it's controversial is because the media are making a fuss of it. Um, the VAR got it all right, I think, from what I could tell, with the exception of something that wasn't a VAR concern, which is a, a foul and a yellow card to White in conceding a free kick where he won the ball cleanly that led to Liverpool's second disallowed offside goal against us. Um but actually, for me, there wasn't any controversy in the game other than, as I said, that white decision. And what Klopp said afterwards, I, I do like Klopp, but I find it hard to 
justify liking Klopp with what happened post-match because the Des Kelly thing was was pretty ugly, to be honest, wasn't it? It was very uncomfortable viewing. He, he does have a point behind the scenes in terms of the scheduling, but that's the price you pay for a, a team that's doing well. Gary Neville's made the point that actually the, the rate of games per day isn't any worse than other areas. In fact, it's better than a lot of other teams have had. And ultimately, you are going to have that intensity of games, particularly in this particular season, uh, when you're a successful side. Um, but it was the manner of criticism. It was very spiky. I know all the, all of the great managers hate losing. They are bad losers. It does get ugly. I, I hated Ferguson and his persona through the successful years. The same with Mourinho. But they are brilliant managers and Klopp's the same. I think his nicer side is even nicer than any of the others, maybe. But when he when he's when he's lost all, in this case drawn a game, gets a bit messy, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. I Klopp, I, I when he was at Dortmund, I absolutely loved him. I think there was a story when Sam Allardyce left West Ham and Klopp was on his uh, sabbatical after leaving Dortmund that we'd approached him with our project uh, about moving to the ground. And I was just like, or even that we, we were considering, I was like, why not just ask him, ask him the question? Um, like, imagine if we got him as a manager, it'd be brilliant. But since he's joined Liverpool, and there's nothing against Liverpool or anything, but maybe because he's a bit more exposed or a bit more exposed to him rather than just seeing like the odd clip or so from Germany. Like, he has started to annoy me a bit at times. Mm especially after the Brighton game on the weekend. But I thought the way he's gone on about match congestion since all the way since uh, midway through last season where he left the kids to play Aston Villa in the cup and took the team to mm. play the World Cup. I'm, it's every single year. Like in England, we don't have a winter break. Whether you agree with it or not, we don't have a winter break. And every manager has to deal with it. And one of my biggest issues with Klopp is with his style of football, which I think is brilliant, but his style of football is gung-ho and it runs his players into the ground. And it happened at Dortmund when he left the club after, um, after two, three fantastic seasons in charge where they went to the final of the Champions League, they won the Bundesliga. They then started his final season appallingly. And I think they were, they were near the relegation zone by January until they sort of dragged it out. But this is because he runs his players into the ground and does very little rotation. He gets a squad of 14, 15 that he fully trusts and he will run them into the ground because he doesn't want to rotate his side because he has his best side and he knows it, which is a great thing to have as a manager. But if you're the manager of Liverpool and you're going to be playing 50, 60 games a season, you need a squad rotation. Like if you look at City, Guardiola, it might not be working at the moment as much in the Premier League, but he can change his side drastically and it's still an equally strong team. Whereas Klopp, he's complaining about all these injuries of hamstrings and it's all muscle injuries, which are like tiredness injuries, really. Hmm. It's like, well, change your style of football to stop the, this happening to the players. Because if you're, if you're worried about that, like, it's all been said on the punditry of like, if you were to increase the, manage, the substitutes to five, he would do things entirely different. But then against City, they only use one substitute each, which doesn't help the players' tiredness. Like he doesn't protect them with the three substitutes. So why, like he's not going to protect them with the five, and it's only going to benefit them when they're playing against sides like Brighton, like West Ham, when they can all of a sudden go right. That attack's not working. We're going to throw on Shakiri, we're going to throw on Origi, we're going to 
change a whole attacking lineup with 20 minutes to go that's full of energy and it's just going to hurt the smaller teams which have smaller squads like that's how it's going to work and it does just get tiring when you hear them complain and complain and complain about the congestion when it's like well that's what happens when you win games you play more games like mm. and the 12 of like 30 kickoff i did think yeah that was a bit tight to play a third, uh, Wednesday evening at a 12.30 on the Saturday. <laughs> that, like, that was harsh. But it, it's happened for years and you just got to get on with it. It's, like, it's the punishment you pay for being good. <laughs> and the other thing is they had a game on Tuesday again, didn't they, in the Champions League. So in one sense, you want to play the Saturday game as soon as possible, and you probably as well. I mean, the flip side is I guess you'd want to have the Tuesday the previous week as well. Uh, and, a, and a Saturday lunchtime the previous week to align everything in, or or the same thing with Wednesday Sunday. Uh, it's but you can't. It, it's the logistics don't work out because there's TV commitments, uh, Asian markets. That's why you've got that Saturday lunchtime slot. Um, that's what their clubs have signed up for. And I think that was Des Kelly's argument on that interview, wasn't it? He said, "Well, that's part of the deal. That's what your yeah. clubs have signed up for." And you can understand, yeah, that's not his decision. He's not an executive. He's just, he's the football manager. But yeah, you can, you can see his opinions. You can understand the point. But as you said, also, if you're going to play that kind of football, uh, that sort of intensity and to a good level where you're going to be successful, you are going to have this kind of a problem. But uh, yeah, it was, it was the handling afterwards. And I think there was another podcast I listened to where a journalist was in, a, I presume it must have been a printed press presser or something. I don't, I'm not sure what it was. But he was pretty much getting belittled for having asked a, a, an awkward question about Klopp's reaction to the game. And, um, you know, he was almost being belittled, I think, in the, in the press conference by the way he sort of played to the rest of the, of the journalists or something like that. I didn't quite get what, what, he, what he meant, but it sounded like it was a little, little bit unsavoury. And f- considering I do like Klopp, I said, it does make you cringe and think, ah, it's hard to say... He's one of the good guys of football when that happens. But um, anyway, the game is done. Um, speaking of good guys in football, um, what did amuse me this week is one of uh, football's foremost pundits, a guy of absolute indisputable quality in the punditry stakes, Roy Keane. <coughs> Sorry, <laughs> something caught in my throat there. Um, oh, can't stand the man, to be honest. Um, he did amuse me, though, the other day. Did you see him saying that he reckons Arsenal will be OK to avoid relegation? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did like that. That was quite funny. Um, yeah, he, he was panning a bit. He said, "No, I think they'll be all right. They won't get relegated." <laughs> um, we could catch them actually. Um, you guys, in fact, you, are you ahead of Arsenal oh, at the moment? You must be, aren't you? We're fifth. Oh, you're up to fifth. Oh, nice. We, <laughs> if we beat Man United on Saturday, we would be one top, well, one top, one point away from Tottenham. We could be third, depending on results going our way. But I think we could also drop to about 10th if we lose and results go against yeah. <laughs> That's That's the way the table is, isn't it? Yeah. But, um, and we, we could go above uh, Arsenal if, if we managed to beat Saints and, uh, and they lose the North London derby. We'll have to see. Andy's smiling away there, just dreaming oh, of the prospects. We can, we can, we can, but <laughs> I've, got a few, I've got a few Guna mates. So um, if we do go above them, that's, that's going to be a social networking heaven for a few days <laughs> um i think that kind of rounds things up in general one thing going back to southwick which i've just 
realised, I don't think we mentioned, which division they're actually in after this drop. Can you remind us what that one is, Henry, for anyone that's interested in that? Yeah, so they're currently in the Mid-Sussex Championship, I believe. Um, yeah. To be honest, they're smashing it. <laughs> I think they've won every game they've played since uh, football came back. They did join the league a couple games in, so they've got three games less played than everyone else, but they're near the top, or at least... I mean, they've won all their games, so they're getting towards the top. I can't, I'm, I can't be sure if they are top. I think last time I checked, they were third. Um, but have looked really good in terms of how they've been playing. They've had a couple of uh, tight results. 3-2 uh, against Poli. I can't remember the team they played against. But they've had a couple of tight games, a couple of games that they've done really well in. Um, so they're looking good for promotion this year, which yeah, great, really. And that momentum is great, isn't it? If they, I mean, big reborn, as it were, if they go on a, a run, the momentum, especially if it's coupled with getting back to the ground, obviously, um, then that could could really actually see them propel themselves on further than they were, uh, the position they were in in the first place. Who knows? Um, probably a bit too late for Andy to come out of retirement to play, but um, maybe Ralph Raniuk might manage them one day. Who knows? <laughs> I think I'm, I'm more likely to be providing the oranges at half time. That'd be about as far as I. It might be quite Just nice keep... to go down to do get back there though. Have a nostalgic trip down there from my point of view. I think we should do a, a seagull, go around. seagulls over London uh, members. We should do a seagulls over London social slash jolly boys outing, jolly girls outing. Go down there and uh, maybe watch a game. Could be quite yeah. good fun. Um, I think be good. Yeah. Um, Henry, if you do do any follow-up articles or you get any further information, please do come back to us and we'd love to have you back on for any updates. Um, do you also get down to Burgess Hill Town at all, being your local team, or is it not local anymore? Um, well, I'm now in Hove uh, after oh, yeah. Down after university, and my dad moved to Shoreham, so we don't like the family home in Burgess Hill. I always wanted to go to the Hillians, I think their nickname is. Um, but yeah. especially after the FA Cup run a couple of years ago, where they actually got quite far, I believe. I think they yeah. went to the first round. Um, yeah, they did, yeah. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Leylands Park, they played, don't they? Yeah, hmm. but never managed to get back to him. But of course, if I find out any more about Southwick or do anything else, I'll be happy to come back on and discuss it with you guys. Excellent. Uh, bad Fantastic. memories of that ground. Lost Ladies the cup final points. there once, yeah. Under 18s, playing for Ringmo against Boyle. We lost the cup final there at Leylands Park, but never mind. Ringmer again. Wow, we're going to have to do a special on Ringmer at this rate, the amount of mentions they're getting. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you're going on about Southwick changing their name. I think looking at the badge, I think Ringmer's done that about three times in recent years. Wow, there we go. Yeah, yeah. Well, Andy, thanks for joining me again. And Henry, thanks for coming on for your debut as well. I say debut in the implication that maybe, as I said, we might get you back on under the uh, the banner of uh, Southwick's progress. Um, also, possibly in terms of West Ham, when we face you guys during this season, maybe for a pre or post-match show, would you be willing to come on? Um, of, of, of course, I'll happily come on. Um, I think we're playing the day after Boxing Day. I think the game moved. Um, oh yeah that's right yeah our, that's our game this season uh, our first one I'll, I'll have to see what the score is before I decide yes or no <laughs> <laughs> brilliant good good well that that rounds up our, our non-league special number two plus football news um, and so thanks for joining us guys um, we'll leave it as that but in the meantime up the Albion stand or fall 
Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.